Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Apier, and I am joined by Spencer Horn. And Spencer, I have to say, uh, it's a happy new year and a happy new look. You, you've got this, <laughs> yeah. this, this lush facial hair growing in here. That's the, well, most, that's the most hair I've seen on your face, I think, since I've known you, which has been almost 20 years. Yeah, well, I can't, you're, you're exactly right. I can't grow it on top, so I figured I'd grow it here. And you're generous with the word lush. It's certainly not, not lush. It's very scruffy. But uh, I just, I've never, ever in my life grown a beard. And I thought, what the heck, I'm going to, I'm just going to see what happens and see how it looks. And so far, I've, my wife likes it. A couple other people say they like it. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I went to one of my clients today and I was a little self-conscious about it. And they all had beards. And I'm like, okay, I fit right in. <laughs> well, if Jana likes it, I mean, that's that's what matters most, right? So as long as she's on board, then it's all good. Yeah. Right. That, that. That's exactly right. Well, somebody gave us a little uh, a, a little love on 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 whatever you were saying, but uh, <laughs> on the comments. So that's great. Uh, what about you? Happy New Year to you, Christian. I mean, gosh, you, I, I love that you're you're smiling, you're happy, and and uh, I got to see you just before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Christmas and New Year time was was a good time for us. Of course, uh, we got a lot of snow, uh, you know, just a lot of shoveling. There's a lot of back pain, <laughs> but uh, happy, very, very grateful, grateful, grateful for the yeah. for the rain and the snow that we've had because we desperately need it. We're yeah. in such dire drought conditions. So, yeah. so what a better way to, there's not a better way to welcome in the new year than with a nice uh, fresh blanket of snow covering the ground. Uh, on the new year. So, but you weren't here for the snow. Well, were you? no, I, I, I was before I actually got caught in all those cancellations on Southwest airlines. I got stuck in Denver on the, I think it was the 21st. And oh, 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 we, I totally forgot. You've got to tell that story, Spencer. <laughs> what an amazing story. You've got to tell that story. Basically we, we got stuck in Denver and we had 16 cancellations uh, in the next two days but at the time, I mean, we were doing our best to find another flight. We had gone out of the airport, back in the airport. We booked a hotel just because they said, we, 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 can't, we can't get you out tonight. All flights are canceled. I tried to rent a car. I couldn't do that. And from our original destination, we were flying from Des Moines to, uh, to Salt Lake City. And, and we, there was another lady on uh, that flight who we had just talked to kind of had a perfunctory conversation. Uh, she handed us some high chews or something like that. And she said, you know, I was wearing my Utah gear. <sighs> anyway, I was representing for, uh, you know, the, my school that got creamed in the, in the Rose Bowl. But anyway, I uh, didn't think much of it. But as the night wore on, I mean, this, we were at the airport for hours and hours and hours. And when the final cancellations happened, I mean, there were 200 people in customer service lines. And um, we didn't know what we could do. I, I, I called four times to get a car. I couldn't get it. This little lady walks up to us, Christian, and she says, hey, uh, you guys are going to Salt Lake, right? And we said, yeah. She said, how would you feel? What are you doing? And we told her. And she says, well, how would you feel if we rented a car together? I said, well, if you can get one. She says, yeah, I, I, I can just press this button, and it looks like I've got one reserved. I said, do it. Do it. And... Um, she reserved it. So my wife and I, we went out of the airport. 
This was probably one in the morning now. It was 20 below outside. There's another couple waiting to get on the rental car bus with us. And we find out that they're going to a town that's kind of on the way to our home. The roads were so bad that Highway 80 through Wyoming was closed. And the only way through, believe it or not, was over the Rockies, over that uh, Eisenhower Pass that goes, if you know, 11,000 feet. It's just crazy that that was open. So we went to, we didn't know what kind of car we'd have if we'd have enough room. So we didn't invite the other couple behind us initially. But when we got to the counter by 2 a.m. in the morning, they gave us a van. They didn't have any four-wheel drives or anything like that, no snow tires. Um, and we turned to the couple behind us who was being charged $700 because the, the rental rates were going way up. We said, you guys want to come with us? And so we ended up having five strangers rent a car together. And I drove <laughs> all through the night. And we stopped in... in uh, I can't remember the name of the town on I-70 and had a, you know, IHOP in the morning and, and it was just uh, white out conditions, white knuckle. It took us 13 and a half hours to get from Denver to Salt Lake City. And, and the news called, I had like three news outlets, one from DC, Wyoming here in Salt Lake, Fox News called, and uh, they came to my house and did a story on it. That's awesome. I, I, I confess, I've watched the story. <laughs> After our mutual friend Patrick said, did you see Spencer on the news? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Spencer was on Fox 13. I'm like, really? So I, I, I checked it out. What an amazing story. Well, um, you know, and it, and it turned, thank you. Whoever's given us thumbs up, we're, you know, we're, we're glad you're listening. But you know, it was, uh, we're now friends. We actually have a, a dinner date with this couple. It turns out that this lady was the matron of this of the Temple Square mission. For those of you listening, we have what's called a mission president. There are missions all over the world. But the Salt Lake City uh, Temple Square has its own mission. They have like 65 sister missionaries. These are usually, you know, what, 19 to, to 22-year-old, 23-year-old young women. And you know, millions of people come to Temple Square, and they they take care of them. They put them on tours and stuff. And so they're responsible for managing all of those. And uh, she needed to be back for meetings. And so, really, it was a small miracle. And I'm actually going to be talking about this story tonight on Facebook on what's called High Five Live. And we'll take a, a you know a little more detailed story. I mean, I don't know if you believe in providence. Those of you who are listening, I do. And I believe it was really a tender mercy that we were able to get home. It wasn't just the inconvenience. It was all the things that we had planned for our family. This lady, um, special meetings that she needed to be back for. The other couple had young children that they needed to get back to. So it was uh, it was very providential. Wow. Well, I'm going to check that out on Facebook tonight. Later 7 o'clock. So uh, it's, it's Friday, 2 o'clock Mountain Time. We're recording this now, Friday the 6th of January, for those who might be listening delayed on podcasts. But you mentioned that this person needed to get back to Salt Lake for meetings. This is my very poor attempt at a segue here because our initial conversation, our topic, what you put up on LinkedIn was about meetings and what prompted this was an article that I saw yesterday or the day before in Fortune magazine uh, talking about uh, Shopify, the, the company Shopify, 
purging their calendar of meetings and uh, reducing a lot of meetings, basically banning any meetings with more than two people, except under specific circumstances. I thought that was quite interesting. So I sent it to you and like, hey, let's have a conversation about that. So, you know, what was your initial thought when you saw this article uh, talking about Shopify purging its calendar of meetings, uh, trying to re you know, dramatically reduce the number of meetings uh, under the the assumption, I guess, that the time spent in meetings is largely unproductive in some of these meetings. And so uh, I, I know you had some strong opinions when you saw that. So why don't you tell us, you know, what was your what was your thinking when you saw this article? Well, you're right. I mean, I I, I saw it and I read it and I've actually had some time to 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 think about it and, and, and look at it even in more deeply. You know, they talk about the fact that they have 10,000 corporate events every year. That's 76,500 hours spent in meetings. And I'm like, well, okay, well, they have how many thousands of employees? This is the a huge e-commerce uh, organization. They're, they're a behemoth. And so they need to be having meetings. But are they having the right meetings? And obviously they've made the determination that, that they're not. Christian. And so I think what they're doing is that they're taking a very strong stance saying, we have got to figure out how to do this right. And they're taking a drastic step to maybe to, to create a shock to the culture. I mean, that's my take on it is that, that, you know, they want their people to be more productive. Ultimately, that's the purpose. I hear, and I know you do, all the time people say, I'm in too many meetings. I, I, I can't get anything done. I'm in the meeting. I'm in a meeting after meeting after meeting. I need to do the work. And so the, really the purpose of, of this drastic calendar purge is to give their people no more excuse to get work done is what I, what I feel now. What, what was your take on it? Yeah, I had a similar view. Uh, you know, I wondered, I, I think we, and especially here in the States, you know, we may have a, a view that by definition, time in meetings is not productive time. Yeah. That we could be doing something better or more productive on our own than we can in a meeting. I don't know if that's universally true, right? I, it seems to me that there are certain things that you can do at your desk by yourself or with your customers or so on. But there are some things that are more productive and efficient and effective by having a meeting. So how do you determine which meetings are the right meetings to be having? What differentiates a, a productive meeting from a non-productive meeting? Well, you know, I think that's a, an excellent question. And, and for me, the purpose of meetings is to get work done, is to have accountability, to follow through, to create closure, to create collaboration, to create alignment, to, to, uh, to, to prevent duplication, to coordinate. Those are all very productive activities. And I think when they are done correctly, um, meetings can be very, very productive. And if they're not, if I, I think one of the things that makes meetings unproductive is having people in those meetings that don't need to be there. And sometimes managers do that because some people want a seat at the table. They want to feel like they're involved. They want to feel like they're important. So let's invite them and 
and have them feel important when they're not really contributing. And I think that's that's a waste of manpower. And and I think we need to look at some trends that have happened recently to understand what's happening here. And and I think that will help clarify. And then we can really dig into your question about what's a productive meeting and what's not. You know, when before the pandemic, I, what was it? 5% of workers were remote. And now, today, 18%. Well, Shopify, what percentage of, of their workers would you say are remote? I mean, they are an uh, remote-centric organization. Their whole focus, I mean, they, that's, that's one of the things that they've really strived to do is not be office-centric. And I think one of the things that happened with every organization that went online during COVID, during, during the, you know, when, when we couldn't be together, is we started having meetings via Zoom. And we didn't particularly do them well. And we needed to have more meetings because we no longer had, Christian, that, that connection that we actually need to be productive. We need time to collaborate. We need time to, to be together and to solve problems. Well, that was taken away. And so we found ourselves actually having more communication online than we were used to having. And I don't think we did that particularly well. You heard, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many people saying Zoom fatigue, and there's there's a lot of data that shows that, you know, people, respondents from a, a of a poly survey done uh, a year ago said that people are spending five times more time in meetings, and 22% of respondents send, spend half or more of a standard work week in virtual meetings. That's a lot of time spent in meetings. Now, it's not everybody, but 22% of people in half their time is in, in meetings. And one of the challenges that people have with virtual meetings is that 25% of people in the survey say that they feel that personal connection is their greatest challenge. They can't have that personal connection when they're on that virtual meeting. And so the virtual meetings were a response to not being together and I think we didn't do them well for a time. We got much better at them. Organizations got much more efficient. And in the same survey, 93% of respondents say they value well-structured meetings. They can be well done. And when you do them, you're organized, you have a purpose, you get in, you get out, you don't creep over time so that meetings are washing over meetings, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, I just spewed out a lot of stuff. I mean, what, what do you have to say about what I've shared so far? <laughs> Well, uh, it's really interesting to hear you touch on this because there are, there are some different elements that I think are are, are interesting. Um, one is the connection, and you're right; uh, it's difficult to connect virtually the same way that you connect in person. And and you said we've we've had a hard time adjusting to it. We're getting to it, but that is to be expected. We never did it. We've always done it the old way, which was when we had meetings, we talked to each other. We went around the corner and we talked to somebody. We went right. into an office. We went into a conference room. We sat and those down went away. We those opportunities went away. Yeah. And, and, and so it's okay, I think, to a certain extent that we, we stumbled our way through it and we're continuing to kind of refine this process because it's a, it's a very new uh, way of doing things. Um, 
Another thing that struck me quite interesting that you said, Spencer, was that meetings are a way for us to hold each other accountable, which is absolutely true. Uh, how many of us have weekly meetings and then we realize, you know, the day before or three hours before, like, oh, I was supposed to do this I and we hurry up and get it done, right? Uh, it's, we're we're kind of cramming it in just so, you know, we can kind of save face in a meeting. And, you know, the question is, is that still the best way to make sure that things are get done and hold people accountable? Are there other things that can be done? Other, you know, that's other, a, other kinds of ways to 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 make sure that people are held accountable and they don't wait a week. You know, they sit around and do nothing for five days and then it's like, oh shoot, I got to get this done because I got a meeting coming up. And it's a very natural thing. And we've kind of grown up doing that. You know, you know I, I just think yeah, I learned that still. I learned that in school, right? Right. <laughs> like, and, and I think that's just lack of discipline and poor self management. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's a meeting, but what 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 does happen and what you've identified is I want to make sure that I'm ready so that I don't lose face with my team. Peer accountability or 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 peer pressure is 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 a very useful tool. I mean, if 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 every manager is the one that's always holding everybody accountable, that gets that gets fatiguing, that gets old, and it gets tiring. But when you have a, a team of people that are counting on you, think of projects that that you know. If you're working on a, a on a project, you're on a a one week or a two week scrum and a sprint, and and excuse me, you're on a sprint and you have certain things that need to happen for the next stage of the of of the project to move on. You better be ready. That's your job. It's not to do what? Check emails? Talk to, to customers? No, it's your job to get the stuff done that moves the project forward or the team forward or the strategic plan forward or whatever it is that you committed to. And if you're not there, then you're going to have to stand in front of your peers and say, I didn't do my homework that's that's great incentive for people. I, I I think to take that pressure away, is is a mistake. I know in in society today there may be some elements that say, well, you know, we don't want to have that kind of pressure, and you know, we, we don't want to have these kinds of standards. Well, I sure hope we have standards for for certain professions. I mean, I want people who build my buildings to make sure that they're following standards, so that the building doesn't fall down and I die. I want a person who's operating on me to to have certain standards so that I live. I, you know what I'm saying? I, we need standards. We need pressure. We need. I mean, why do we go to the gym? Pressure. That's what makes us. That's what makes our muscles grow, right? Why do you go out and run? Pressure. That makes your heart stronger. Pressure is good. It helps us to perform. So anyway, I. I don't know. If, I hope I wasn't Yeah, I guess my, yeah, the way that I feel about that, I, I'm in agreement with you, Spencer. And so the way that I feel about that is, is on the one hand, you know, you might be saying to people, oh, well, you know, we go to this meeting and it's a waste of our time. Okay, well, maybe the hour that you spent there could have been better planned and constructed and conducted, but there were, and I think it's important to acknowledge that there were productivity gains by simply calling the meeting. Because if you didn't call the meeting and nobody's held accountable, then nothing gets done. At least it gives us, like you said, uh, it gives us some motivation to to get some wins on the board so that we, 
we don't show up like a loser, right? Christian, and, that's a that's so, a bare that's a bare minimum. That just that's just the that that's the lowest common denominator. Show up to to have you know what you committed to. But I'd be interested. Any of our listeners that are listening right now, I mean, what kind of what what are meetings like where you are? How are the are they productive? Are they are they useful? I mean, chime in. I mean, type in on on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or uh, YouTube, whatever you're listening to. We'd love to hear from you live. Let's. So, you know, I said 18% of teams are virtual, and we've been talking about virtual. That means, Christian, that 82% of of organizations are still meeting in person. As a matter of fact, I just met with one of my clients this morning in person. I went, I didn't meet remotely. I went to, to their office. And one of the things I discovered is they're not having enough meetings. They, they need to have more meetings because there, there's a lack of coordination. There is duplication of, of effort. There is lack of accountability. And meetings will allow them to happen. And what's what's ironic about this is what's getting in the way is work. <laughs> They're so busy with meeting their clients' needs or, or uh, responding to this situation or this fire that it's hard for them to schedule people in a meeting. But what they would find is that once they once they create this certain cadence of uh, of, of meeting. They will get more organized. They will have more time, and they will be more responsive to the things that they need to do. We spend so much time on unproductive activities, and you know Parkinson's law. I don't know if you remember what Parkinson's law is. Is that is that work expands to fill the time available. I think the same happens with with meetings. I mean, we if we're not careful, our meetings will expand, and we need to be very very disciplined. I I, I heard one. Um, thought leader who used to be on television say you should start your meetings and run your meetings like a television studio runs their TV shows. I mean, they're very, very strict with their time. And they start with, you know, how much time you have and they count down, not count up. So by the time it gets to zero, that meeting, you better be done. But when before you leave that meeting, people need to know what they've committed to and be very clear about what's going to take place before the next meeting. And I think managers are not doing that. They're not saying, okay, you know, we're having this discussion, who's owning this, who's owning that. And when we get back next week, um, the expectation is from the people who have accepted that, that they're going to have X, Y, and Z done. So a novel, uh, a novel approach that I've seen, uh, some companies take, um, one I've got experience with in particular is that, uh, they, they built a new building. And in that building, uh, they, they had a limited number of meeting rooms. What you found was that the meeting rooms are always booked. And they're booked, you know, in 30-minute increments. But that doesn't that create, what kinds of pressure does that create for them to, to manage their meetings? It, it creates good pressure because if you don't finish your meeting on time, there's somebody else standing outside waiting to get into the room. and. And so, and so you've got to, you got to be very disciplined on when you start and stop your meetings because you can't just be hanging around in this room for half a day. You know, it, the meeting rooms are in demand and they have to be scheduled. And so, uh, you know, that creates that pressure to, to start on time, end on time, like you see, like the TV show, because 
at the top of the hour, the channels changed and you got the new, uh, you got the new crew coming in. And if, and if you don't finish on time, you know, they're knocking on your door saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're taking our time away from us, you know? So you got to wrap it up. And, uh, I, I think that works, you know? I, I think it does. You also have the greatest stories. You know, I, I know you do a lot of work internationally. I do work internationally. And I, I'd love to hear your perspective on, you mentioned it in the very beginning that there's a perception that maybe, you know, meetings are, are not as useful here in the United States. What, what do you notice in other places that you work around the world? Well, I, I think it varies, but, you know, doing a lot of work over in Europe, in Switzerland, France, etc., uh, um, there are more meetings, uh, but that's because the culture is driven by consensus, and so everybody needs to have an opportunity to have a voice. That means you've got to call meetings, and you've got to have people in these meetings. And I know sometimes people get frustrated that oh, we have too many meetings, but what they're really trying to do is make sure that you actually do have consensus and that everybody is in agreement. This is the path we're taking forward. You know, everybody's had an opportunity to have their say. Uh, coming from the states over here, it seems like it's an excessive number of meetings. But in that culture, it is part of how you get things done. If you, if you just decide to go off on your own and do your thing, you're going to run into big problems and you've got to build that consensus. And, and so I was curious when I saw the Shopify auto, I mean, that's one of the things that I thought about at the beginning when I first read it was, well, how is this being rolled out globally? Because I, I can see that making sense here in the States. Um, you know, we're not going to have meetings with more than two people in them. Uh, I don't know how that flies overseas. You know, it'd be interesting to see how, how their international, employees are you know viewing this new policy you know i i i think that's a great question and and again i'm coming from you know a perspective of productivity of of you know effective meetings and i understand the idea of consensus and i think that's great however there's more than one way to get consensus i mean one of the challenges that that you have i mean we strive for consensus here i mean think of you know, Congress. Right now, we're going through a process to eliminate a Speaker of, of the House, and they're not reaching consensus. And and one of the problems is you have so many people that you got to get on board. The more people you have, the harder it is. And so this this is a a, a, a it, it, that's not a criticism. That's a democratic process. It's just a, a reality. The more people you have, the harder it is to reach consensus, and the longer it takes with an organization. And and so you're talking about quasi-governmental organizations. And so that's understandable. When we're thinking of a private firm, typically efficiency is probably higher on the list. But there are organizations even here in the United States that have that same consensus mentality. They want buy-in from the entire team. And I think that that idea is really good. The challenge that we have is that when do you stop inviting people? I mean, who, who doesn't get to come in and have consensus? I think... There, there needs to be a 
waterfalling of of buy-in or or consensus. It can't all happen in in one meeting all all the time. So stakeholders, you know that that need to be part of a policy decision. I mean, there's there's many kinds of of meetings. Let, let's let's clarify that. Not every meeting is a policy meeting or a strategic meeting or a uh, an issue resolution type of meeting. So if you have one of those types of meetings, you need to make sure that everybody that that is impacted by the issue or the problem or the new strategic direction has a say. That's that is important. But not all of their direct reports. I mean there at some point that that there needs to be a limit as to who is in that meeting. The more people you have, the harder it is to come to to resolution. But if you start with a you know, a, a, a more tight knit executive team that represents everybody's interests, you can create a representative form of, of, of consensus, right? You start there and then you create that alignment that, that is waterfall down throughout the organization. And it is each department head's job to make sure that they're on board with the direction and help their teams get by and, and get their feedback and weigh in all the way down until those concerns are resolved and then there is consensus throughout the organization. And that's part of the that's just the part of the work of leadership and management that has to be done. And it, that's a great use of of meetings. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, you know coming from a project-based environment, I'm a I'm a big fan of of creating uh, you know pro, what I, there are various terms for it, but what I call project definition documents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in those, what you do is you you identify the teams and everybody's roles and responsibilities, and then you create these racy matrices, right? Where, okay. Okay, you better explain racy because somebody might get the wrong so idea. It's like responsible, accountable, consulted, informed, right? Right. And so there are various ways of... Uh, uh, of constructing those, but the idea is that you understand this is the role that I play here, you know? So you don't need to invite everybody to a meeting that's just in to be informed. They could be informed in different ways. You could send out an email update or you can put an update up on the SharePoint site or whatever it is, and they can stay informed that way. Uh, but if, if you're trying to get certain things done, you know, then have the people in the meeting that can actually make the decisions to do what needs to be done, right? You don't necessarily need to involve everybody. And the way you come to an agreement or a consensus at the beginning is you define and agree at the outset, okay, this is what has to be done. And here are the people's roles and responsibilities on, on doing this. We all agree. Yes. Okay. Then well, you can really to do have much more that? focused meetings. What, what do I, as a leader, listening to this right now, have to do differently or better to do what you just said? <laughs> That's a really good question. But really, it's, it's it, you know, and again, I'm coming at this from more of a project-focused mentality, but it's at the initiation of it is getting agreement on what is the objective of the project? What are the scope? What are the deliverables, the timelines, et cetera? And then who is involved in delivering this? And it may not be just people in my company or in my department or my team. We may have other stakeholders outside that are involved too. That, you know, So you have committees that have terms of reference that describe what the role is. But everybody agrees to that. Once you've got the rules of a game established, 
then you can move forward. So and that's the key to me is that you create those standards in advance and say, this is how we operate and this is what's expected and then create standards for having effective meetings. And I think really that's the one of the, the big keys is you need to have a, a guideline. You need to have a discipline as a leader. And, and there's so many different, we've talked, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of behavioral diversity. All of the different styles of of leaders out there that are listening to this will lead and manage differently. Some love the idea that we talked about a countdown clock. Others are like, oh my gosh, we can't, you know, I can't think with, with that level of restriction. And, but it's going to require some level of discipline and that is creating standards. This is how we, this is who we involve and making hard decisions. Some people don't need to be there, but sometimes we're like, well, I want this person to be there because I think they should hear it. That's also a you know a second level manager might might feel like well I want you know this person to be there because it's easier for them to just have them on in the meeting rather than have to relay that information so it requires discipline at all levels and if you create a process for doing that I think that really helps. Sorry, cut you off. Quick on the trigger. No, no, it's all good. You know, coming back to the standards thing, and you were talking pretty passionately about that, you know, in terms of individuals, hey, I, you know, I don't want to go see a doctor that doesn't have these standards. I mean, you, you flew from Des Moines, Iowa to Denver, Colorado. Uh, You felt safe that you could do that because the company has standards and there's a regulatory framework that ensures that everything standards? is done, right? It's not like while you're mid-flight, you know, the, the the flight attendants are having conversations about, you know, well, what do you think the safety features should be on this plane? And, you know, what should we do in case of an emergency? I'm not exactly. sure. Should we should we should we call a meeting? But hey everybody, stop, you know. Just stop serving the guests here. Stop serving the passengers. We're just going to convene a meeting and figure out what we're going to do in case of an emergency. I mean, that's ludicrous. Or you mentioned uh, uh, the the Rose Bowl. Unfortunately, our team lost, right? But it's not like in the second quarter, the referees get together and say, so what are the rules today for this game? You know, what should we do? How many downs? Do, does each team get before they have to, how many yards do they have to go? Like all that stuff is figured out ahead of time. Ahead yeah. of time. Exactly. And, and, and that will create a system where that, that people can buy into it more readily and you stick with it. And that's your job as a leader is to adhere to those standards that, that hopefully you've gotten consensus on beforehand. <laughs> and if the standard needs to change, that's okay. But you know, uh, so let's talk about this idea that some people say that they truly are in too many meetings. You know, what do you say to to that? Well, you ask, you answer a question with a question, which is, uh, what kinds of meetings are you in? What do you, what are you getting done in these meetings? Right. Right. So, and if the question is, I say nothing. I just sit there. Maybe my camera's on mute and I'm playing on my phone. Yeah. And some you know, managers just giving an update for an hour and talking the entire time, then you know what? That's probably not the best use of your time. It probably is not the most optimal meeting. You know, if, if you're listening to this and you want some resources on how to run meetings, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of great meetings. I mean, Harvard Business Review has a lot of great stuff. Um, there's, uh, you know, a Patrick Lencioni actually has a whole metaphor, one of, his, one of his parables about meetings. I hate those parables. I'm sorry, Patrick. But I do love your book. I, I, I'm more literal. I, I really so impressed with your ability to come up with these metaphors. But I really love that book called The Advantage. And it, it's, it's um, the, the last chapter is brilliant, and it is all about meetings. And I, I really agree with his approach to meeting. There's multiple kinds of meetings. You have stand-up huddles, and those should be you know 10 minutes. Some of my clients uh, need those on a daily basis just to have a quick coordination, and it's 10 minutes. You stand up. Why? Because you, you want to keep it moving. Well, that's one type of meeting, and that's just quickly any problems that you need to have today, anybody need help from each other, it's just a quick check-in, and off you go. Then you have your regular staff meetings, which in some cases are just a return and report. And um, that's a great type of meeting for accountability. That needs to be extremely disciplined. But then there are what we call ad hoc meetings. It's something you don't want to have everything discussed in every meeting because that's where we lose focus and we're not being productive in our meetings. But with the with these ad hoc meetings, what you do is they're they're scheduled as needed. An issue comes up that is too big to deal with in the staff meeting. We say, hey, I'm having a problem with it. We're like, okay, so let's schedule a time. And the only agenda item is to solve that. And that's where we come to consensus and fix. That's where we say, okay, who needs to be involved in this? You know, what are their roles? Just like you talked about. And we we have the ad hoc meeting. We solve the problem. That's productive. It's getting work done. And then the last type of meeting is where we have you know, professional development. We have off-sites, you know, those may be quarterly or semi-annually where we talk about how are we doing to our, our goals and meeting our, our strategic, uh, you know, plan deadlines or, or what do we need to do to up our skill and we, we do training and we do development. Those are all different types of, of meetings. And so here's, here's the calculus that, that he does and that he uses to respond to people say, well, I'm in too many meetings. And so I'm going to read it because I, I, I love it. So he says, when everyone challenges me on the practicality of having four different types of meetings, I add them all up and the time they would spend in those given meetings in a month. And basically he does, you know, two hours a week in, in staff meetings, six hours on topical meetings, 10 minutes a day, blah, blah, blah. That's basically 12 hours a month. And he says, well, but I'm on more than one team, right? So I'm going to have multiple meetings. This is, well, assuming a 50-hour work week, that's 13% of your time. If you work 45 hours, that's just 14%. That means we're spending a maximum amount of time at each meeting, something few team, uh, teams need to do. More than 85% of our time is still available for whatever else we do. So what about those that say, well, I have multiple teams, blah, 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 Um Still, even he's saying, what else do you have that's more important to do? If you're managing your team, if you're coaching them, if you're developing them, if you're helping them, that's done in meetings extremely effectively. And a lot of managers don't know how to do that in front of other people. And that's where the work that you and I do comes in is how do you teach your whoever's running the meetings to run them effectively in a way that gets the most out of people? It gets people coming prepared, that that gets people excited to, to be there and recognized for their efforts, feeling like they're, they're making a difference. If I'm sitting in a meeting, Christian, and I have no input, or I have no value, I'm probably going to be demotivated. I'm probably going to be frustrated 
But if I have a say, I have input, I'm valued and I'm appreciated for what I bring to the table and my ideas, not all of them, but some of them might, might fructify and, and benefit the organization, isn't that a, I, I think that's a great win. So if you're having Shopify, if you're having 76,500 hours of meetings that are unproductive, cancel that. Save the 100 million and start having meetings that are productive so that you can uh, continue to be successful as an organization and keep your people connected and to the mission, to each other, to the work, to the customer. Well, Spencer, I think uh, I've enjoyed this meeting <laughs> with you. The two of us uh, are our regular meeting. I always learn a ton from you. So this is definitely very productive time for me. And I appreciate you uh, educating me along with all of our listeners on this topic. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say to wrap up or, or yes. uh, do we get right to the end of it? No, I think you're, you're, you're first of all, you're very gracious because I feel like I always learn from you. And I'll tell you what I'd like to say before we end. Thank you for those of you who join with us and, and listen. And next Tuesday, we, we don't always do this, these, uh, these podcasts at the same time. And the reason is, is that Christian is very busy. I'm very busy. So sometimes we just have to do them when we can do them and we fit them in. And hopefully you can join us when you, when you can. But next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, that's noon Eastern Time, we have an incredible guest. Her name is Teresa Lawrence, PhD. Uh, and, and basically, we're going to be having an incredible conversation. And it's, the, the conversation is cognitive diversity. And I'm excited about it because, you know, I, I, I talk about behavioral diversity and, and she and I have had the, you know, I've just, I was so excited when I, I heard her speak at the PMI conference in Las Vegas and she's a, a dynamic speaker. She is really exciting and she's actually done behavioral assessments that I haven't done before on both of us. And so, and I haven't seen the results of mine and I know you haven't, but, but here's the, here's the idea of our topic next Tuesday. What if you could capture and capitalize on the thinking preferences of everyone on your team? Just as people have preferences for food, colors, they also have measurably different preferences when it comes to solving problems or tackling challenges and how they show up in meetings, right? Which will, will be a great segue into, into next week. Some people seek to clarify the issue or the problem. What's next? What's the data? Others prefer to develop. Let's work out the kinks first, while others are inclined to implement. Let's do, let's act, let's go. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about our styles. We'll totally expose ourselves next week. And so hopefully you'll join us with that. And you're going to learn a ton from, from her. Uh, I think she's just, she's a great speaker and we're going to have lots of fun. So that's what I would, that's what I would end with. And Christian, uh, I'm just so glad to be with you. I know you got lots of meetings to go to this afternoon. You got great things working on again with, uh, you, you know, some, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I think people ought to know all the great things you're doing. Oh, well, uh, we've accepted an assignment, our company, uh, uh, to support, uh, Salt Lake city, uh, and the state of Utah's Olympic bid aspirations. Uh, so, uh, I'm very, very excited about that right after this call, I'll be, uh, hopping on another call with the bid, but, uh, I, I will say, Spencer, that I am interested and excited to expose ourselves intellectually <laughs> and emotionally and mentally, not necessarily physically. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, 
uh, with our listeners and viewers. But uh, Spencer, um, we just touched the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you have so much knowledge and expertise in this particular area. We're going to see some more on Tuesday. I'm so excited uh, for our conversation with Teresa. Uh, but in the meantime, if anybody wants to get a hold of you and learn how you can help them have better meetings, be more productive teams and leaders, what's the best way for them to contact you? You reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just message me, Spencer Horn. You'll see me there and uh, message me there. I think that's the easiest way we'll we'll connect. And and Christian, how about you? You get you're going to use Raconto as as a part of the services you're providing, right? I mean, your your storytelling and capturing tool for organizations. How how can people learn more about that? Uh, same, you know, uh, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for Christian Napier on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll see me and. And I look forward to connecting with anyone and everyone uh, who wants to learn more about how we might be able to help their organizations as well. Okay, well, uh, it's been a fantastic 45 minutes of conversation here, Spencer. I really appreciate you taking time and adjusting your schedule to accommodate my schedule. And <laughs> listeners and viewers, we appreciate you too. And we ask you to like and subscribe to our podcast and stay with us and come back on Tuesday the what is that the 10th of january 10 a.m mountain time uh for a special a special episode with teresa 